Turn in God's Word this morning to John chapter 1 as we continue learning from the twelve disciples whom our Lord Jesus called. We learned last week that Jesus called those who seemed completely unqualified, those who seemed to lack any sort of proficiency and uh, uh, any sort of skill and expertise because there are no other kind. (laughs) The Lord Jesus called those who were in themselves sinful and needy, and he does so with us, calling us to himself and then equipping us. I've just heard of the insta- uh, we've uh, participated in the installation of elders and deacons this morning. It's fitting then that we would look at one of the, uh, the officers whom our Lord Jesus called, uh, namely Andrew. So John chapter 1 this morning, looking at Andrew. Andrew is part of that first grouping of the disciples, but he's the lesser known. We think of the first grouping of disciples. If I told you the other three, you'd say, oh yes, of course, Peter, James, and John, right? Peter, James, and John. Oh, and the other guy, Andrew. (laughs) Well, this morning we want to look at Andrew. We don't see a lot about him uh, in the scriptures, but let's just see how He comes into the picture in John chapter 1, starting in verse 19, getting some background here as we see Andrew uh, coming to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. This is John the Baptist speaking. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now these individuals had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said... After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus and he, as he walked by, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? 
He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. So far, the reading of God's unholy word. May he add his blessing to the reading and proclamation of it this morning. Brothers and sisters, as I've said, we don't know that much about Andrew. We read a few things here and there. John introduces him in his gospel as Simon Peter's brother. I don't know if any of you have older siblings, perhaps, who were more notable than you. Remember being uh, identified as, well, I was John's brother. That's true. But Andrew was Simon Peter's brother. But what we're going to see about Andrew is he was... He didn't have any, any issues with that. We don't see anywhere in Scripture that Andrew is trying to get to the front and to make a name for himself and to get out ahead of his brother Simon. He's known as Simon Peter's brother. He's mentioned only nine times, Andrew is, in the New Testament other than the listing of the twelve. And we learn that he was a God-fearing Jew just a few verses later from the text or passage we've just read. We learn that he was a God-fearing Jew from Bethsaida in Galilee. Verse 44 tells us that. And he's the brother of Peter. And they were fishermen, we read in Matthew chapter 4. He's a disciple of John the Baptist. Verses 35 and 40 tell us that. Like many others, he's waiting for the Messiah to come. He's waiting for the Messiah to come, which is true of all those who... In that day, we're waiting for God to fulfill His promises. And we are in the same way, are waiting for Christ, the Messiah, to return. And John pointed to Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Andrew immediately took interest and spent the day with Jesus. We read in verses 37 and 39. So right away, when he sees Jesus identified, he takes interest and he goes to Him. That's a beautiful thing about Andrew. Brothers and sisters, if if nothing more can be said of you by someone else than that you want to be with Jesus, that's a beautiful moniker. That's a beautiful title to wear. As a pastor, if I could say, uh, boy, that so-and-so, he or she just wants to be with Jesus. I hope you can say it about me. Our pastor, he he, he just wants to be with Jesus. Because that's what should be true of us. We should want to be with Jesus. We should want to hear from him. We should want to live uh, in, a, in the way that he lived. We should want to, um, uh, uh, to obey all that he's commanded. Andrew was introduced to Jesus and he believed and confessed that Jesus was the Messiah. Beyond that, we don't hear much about Andrew. He is one of the twelve and he... Tradition tells us he went to faraway places to share the gospel. We're not going to go into that this morning. Didn't, he didn't write any gospels. He didn't preach to great crowds. He didn't leave a book of memorable quotes. I'm one who likes biographies. I like to read about great figures in history and learn a little bit about them by what they've said or, or, or where they lived and who they, who they were with. We just don't have that with Andrew. No autobiography. 
So what do we learn first off from that? Well, we learn that God uses people behind the scenes. He can use people behind the scenes. We've installed officers this morning, elders and deacons, very visibly. We recognize them because they are uh, to, to be those to whom we can go, those to whom we must uh, uh, adhere. But in a very real sense, God uses each and every one of us as we are submitting to Him in our respective positions and places even behind the scenes. Andrew is a wonderful example. He didn't need to be noticed as he did his thing. What was his thing? He introduced people to Jesus right from the get-go. First thing we notice about Andrew this morning, verses 40 to 42, what does it say? He met the Lord Jesus, or he saw the, John, uh, he was listening to John, and John said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Andrew immediately takes interest, spends a day, and then he goes and he does what? He finds his brother Simon. And he says, we found the Messiah. And what? Here's what we know about Andrew. (laughs) Verse 42. He brought people to Jesus. If you don't get anything else out of the sermon this morning, I hope you do. But if you don't, don't forget that. He brought people to Jesus. He heard Jesus speak, was enabled to believe, and brought his brother to Jesus. And he knew what that meant, because we've already met Peter. Admittedly, brothers and sisters, we, we, we very cursory look at Peter last week. I hope if you are, have more interest, you spend more time with Peter. There's much more that could be said. But he knew it was going to happen. Peter was the one who's always talking, always out front, always asking questions. By bringing Peter to Jesus, what's going to happen to Andrew? In the background, Peter's going to be the one out front. He could have said, boy, I know what's going to happen if I bring Peter on board. Not to mention John and James, the sons of thunder, who are asking for a place at Jesus' right or left. You see who's in that first group? All those guys and Andrew. We need guys like this. We need gals like this. We need those who are faithful behind the scenes who aren't saying, but what about me? What about me? Don't forget, I'm in that grouping. Andrew isn't that way. I remember a man from the church that I attended in, in, while I was in seminary, and he, he, he was always trying to bring people to Jesus, always talking to people. He, he would sit in the restaurant with people that he was discipling, and, and the waiter would come up and he'd say to them, hey, this is my brother. He doesn't look much like me, does he? And the waiter would look at him, well, what are you talking about? I don't, I don't. He says, he's my brother in Christ, and we're part of a big family. And then he would talk to him about Jesus and explain to that one, per, to that person, how much they needed to be introduced to Jesus. I remember a gal, older lady, who would, who would go to the same restaurant all the time. She would do that intentionally. She was there meeting the, the, the help. And when there was time, asking them questions about their family, offering to pray for their family. She would welcome them to the church, urge them to consider Jesus and his relationship to him. Both, these, both of these individuals whose names are known only to a few make me think of Andrew. 
We never read of Andrew preaching to multitudes. We never read of him great crowds walking behind him. He knew that if he introduced people to Jesus, that Jesus would make the difference in their lives, not Andrew. That Jesus would use them for his glory. And that is what we see in John chapter 6. I want to look just at a few episodes. Uh, There are only a few, but I want us to consider how Andrew fits in. John chapter 6, we have this illustrated for us. Jesus has been healing people and the crowds are following after him. The people are coming to him and Jesus speaks with Philip. As he sees them coming, he says, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Just as an excursus, just very briefly, but, but to keep Jesus before us, not just Andrew. Isn't it wonderful? Jesus has been healing people. He's exhausted. He's trying to get away just for some rest. And the people keep coming, and they keep coming. And he, so, he doesn't say, good grief, we got to go to the secret cave. Let's go to the really obscure place. He says, who's going to give them food to eat? How are these people going to be provided for? Isn't, our Savior never says, don't come to me. He never says, I'm too exhausted. I've had enough. I put in overtime. Look at my time card. I don't, I'm done for the week. He says, who's going to provide? And he said this to test Philip. It says, verse 6, he already knew what he was going to do. But we're not talking about Philip here this morning. We're, we're just introducing ourselves to Andrew. So he's asking Philip the question. Meanwhile, where's Andrew? He's out looking he hears Jesus say, who's going who's to provide food? So Andrew's out looking for the food that's going to be provided for. He says, well, I, I, I'm, I don't need to be right next to Jesus. I'll go out and, and look for that food that's necessary. And he comes back with a boy. And there we catch a glimpse of, of Andrew. Andrew says to, uh, to Jesus, well, back up, verse 8, what is the description again? One of Jesus' disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, the more, the, the more known one, Simon Peter's brother, this is Andrew. He brings him, this little boy, to Jesus. And he says, there's a boy here with his five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Now with Andrew, we don't see elsewhere in Scripture that he's asking questions like this with, with just a disbelief. Like, well, who do you really think? You know, I don't really think you're going to be able to do anything. He's saying, what is this for so many? Jesus, show us. What, is this, what does this mean? What can you do with a little? And don't remember that. Don't forget that point this morning. Jesus can do much with little. He doesn't need fame. He doesn't need fortune to move his kingdom. He needs people who are willing to bring others to him. So Andrew brings this boy and Jesus shows his glory. Our Savior is good and he is powerful to provide for needs in ways that we can't imagine. We give to the deacons. They faithfully administer. We give confident that God will provide. We say, well, it's not very much. And God says, it isn't about how much you give. It's giving generously because you want to see people be introduced to me. 
Because you want to help those in need, even, Jesus says, as I help people in need. I don't turn them away. If anyone comes to me, I will not turn them away, John 6, 37. So when you talk about Andrew, I can't apologize for this. It's just the way it is. When you talk about Andrew, there's, there's a lot going on around Andrew. You don't hear much about Andrew, but he's in the mix. right? He's right there. Just as Peter was, he's in the mix. You just don't hear about him. But he's there serving. Behind every well-known believer is a faithful servant of God who shared and modeled the faith for that believer. God uses those behind the scenes. He uses those who take small steps of faith to speak of him. Andrew appears again, John chapter 12. If you want to turn there, John chapter 12 in verse 20. Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And among the people, there are some God-fearing Greeks who want to go and they want to see Jesus. So they go to Philip. Why Philip? Well, we're not going to spend a bunch of time there, but it's a Greek name. Philip is a Greek name, and these are Gentiles. And they're saying, we want to go to the one who, has a, who, who probably has a similar background to us. If he has a Hebrew name, there may be a little bit of, bit of, uh, of uncertainty. Will this person even relate to us? There's still some, some tension there. So they go to Philip. But what does Philip do? He goes to Andrew. And he says, hey, there's some guys here that want to meet Jesus. And we read there, verse 22, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus is introduced to them. Philip knew that Andrew would know what to do. Because his... The reputation was he brought people to Jesus. He's always bringing them in, in the sense of the Old Testament history, trying to show them what, who Messiah would be, right? Who, who, what he would look like when he came. And now that he was here, Andrew's saying, you've got you've to meet Jesus. One pastor puts it this way, though Andrew has the same call from Jesus as the other disciples, that is, to go to the lost sheep of Israel, Matthew chapter 10, verse 2, he's not narrow in his thinking. He doesn't think, well, the gospel is only for people who are all cleaned up, who are all nice and tidy, who've got their lives together. He's there to to welcome anyone. So Andrew, the pastor goes on, he seemed to understand that there wasn't anyone outside the redeeming work of Jesus. So this reflects upon our Savior too. The disciple has the shape of his Savior Do you look like Christ? Do you have that mentality? Do you think that way? Jesus never goes to the other side of the street and says, no, not that one over there. I'm not, I'm not, I'm going over here. That's the type of person Jesus wants us to be. He wants us to have a simple faith which heeds his commands to go and tell people about him and to want people to be introduced to him. It isn't in our power to save anyone, but we can call people to consider Jesus and his teaching. Parents have a tremendous responsibility in this, to make Jesus known, to speak to them of who Jesus is and why they need to be introduced to him and how they're to relate to him, to teach them how to introduce people to Jesus, to show them how to walk with him. We're to teach our kids to be evangelistic in our in our way of living. We're all part of this work as a family of God to speak about Jesus, to model a humble faith 
in him. It's all of our responsibility to, to want to introduce people to Jesus. That means we've got to know him. We've got to understand his attitude. We've got to understand that the door is wide for, for those who want to come to him. He doesn't say, well, all this has to happen first before you can even mention the name Jesus. Though it often takes a relationship, and that's also a part of of introducing people is it takes that time we heard about with those other godly uh, uh, saints that I was mentioning earlier as examples. Every week going to the same place, asking questions, showing that you care. Not just throwing leaflets out the window as you drive by and say, get Jesus! But caring and reaching out. A humble faith in him. When talking about being a disciple, we hear a lot about humility. That's God's deep desire for his disciples. Proper understanding that salvation is by grace alone must shape our thinking and lead us to go forth with a humble joy to to share that good news of salvation in Jesus Christ to all people. We don't have to be the leader of a group. Called to be faithful in witness, humble in witness. Andrew shows us how to serve in humility. We're not always going to be noticed. Not always going to be remembered, but God takes notice. His son labored in obscure places in Galilee. What? Jesus, if you're going to be effective, you've got you to gotta be in Jerusalem, man. What are you doing in Galilee? And yet he's teaching us. God wants us to go to the highways and byways to bring the word, not necessarily looking for lights and for, for the stage, but to one-on-one meet people and introduce them to Jesus. He labored in relative obscurity for three years. His public ministry took place, and the kingdom of God continues to increase year after year, decade after decade, because it's about the power of Jesus Christ and his, the word about him, not so much about how big the building is or how big the entity is. Andrew was one of those rare people who was willing to take second place. He didn't care if he was hidden as long as the work got done. Jesus taught if any man desire to be first, he must be the very last. And the servant of all, Mark 9.35. Andrew modeled that. I like what John MacArthur says in his book on the 12. He says, some people won't play in the band unless they can hit the big drum. Are you a big drum player? (laughs) Or can you accompany the symphony? Can you accompany the band? Or do you have to hit the big drum and the spotlight needs to be on you or you won't do it? Well, here what we're seeing in Andrew is God uses those people who don't have to hit the big drum either. Andrew didn't need to hit the big drum. MacArthur goes on, is another good point, Andrew's act of faithfulness in bringing his own brother, Simon Peter, to Christ was the individual act that led to the conversion of the man who would preach that great sermon at Pentecost. Do you remember to the thousands of people and thousands came and were baptized? The fruit of Peter's ministry is ultimately also the fruit of Andrew's faithful individual witness. You see how that works together? You see how that fits? It's that individual faithful witness that is the backdrop to the ministry of those who, who, who perhaps have a, have a larger audience or, or platform. But the Lord uses the humble, faithful work of parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts and, and, and brothers and sisters in the Lord to encourage 
to introduce people to Jesus. The culture introduces its idols, and it's not shy about it. The world seems to be growing in rebellion against God. The culture toots its own horn. It plays the big drum of influence and says, look at us. Look how big we are. Look at the numbers that are coming to us. Look how how much of a force we are. But God counters by saying, The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. He doesn't do it by bright lights. He doesn't do it by a big stage. He doesn't do it primarily through gigantic uh, stadiums being filled and and world-renowned apologists speaking, well-known evangelists, famous preachers, although he does use these things. Primarily, normally, he uses the humble daily evangelism and discipleship of ordinary believers proclaiming Christ and modeling faith in Him. Believers bringing other people to Jesus. There's a story about an obscure Scottish preacher by the name of Thomas Mitchell. He was was an Andrew. When he died, the group of ministers that he ministered with wrote his obituary and they wrote this, Thomas Mitchell, an old soldier of Jesus Christ, a man of slender abilities as a preacher and who enjoyed only a very defective education. Yee! It's a pastor. That hurt. That bites. I I don't want that guy writing, those guys writing my obituary. With friends like that, who, who needs enemies, Right? But here's what someone else wrote about him. His earnest and loving work caused him to lead many people to Jesus. That is a moniker. That is a statement. That is a testament to God's power to use ordinary people of defective education, those with slender ability in preaching, those who perhaps are a bit shy and timid. God is powerful to use Andrews. Evangelism discipleship isn't only a call of those with amazing abilities to gather crowds and persuade multitudes. It is those who are willing to work behind the scenes, too. Perhaps you're hearing the sermon this morning and thinking, well, I don't want to get up in front of people. I, I mean, even though Andrew was, was maybe uh, uh, not well-known, he certainly was an apostle, so he was in front of people teaching and preaching. What about me? I, I don't want to do that. There are other ways to show that Christ is Lord in your life. doesn't mean you... Don't say anything because the word preached is what, what draws people to faith. But it's that, it's that faithful service. It's that commitment to the local church. It's that, that, that willingness to give to the deacons. It's that, it's that vision for the church that you say, yes, that's what it's about. I don't have to, I don't have to go, on all these, these, the, go to all these places, this bucket list that I have, and save all this money so that when the day comes, I can just go and, and splurge on what I want to do and, and go where I want to go. But I want to be committed to the bride of Christ right where I am. To serve cookies. To be in the nursery. To help with sound. To play the organ. To play the piano. To play some other instrument to help in catechism, to teach Sunday school, to help make the schedule that sets it up for others to teach, to clean, to serve in some capacity. I don't need to be out front. But that, 
that speaks volumes. People say, boy, those people have different priorities. They care not just about what they're going to do with that infinitesimally small bit of their life upon retirement. They care about right here, right now, serving. The church is a part of that pyramid. Church, home, and school. They see education as important. They see the home as important. And they see their church as important because God is important. And they serve in whatever capacity that God has gifted them to serve in. The body of Christ being built up. If I asked you today, which part of your body would you be willing to just give up? It would be a difficult decision. I can go without my arm, go without my leg, go without my nose, my ears. Right? Paul talks about the body and its various parts, 1 Corinthians 12. And he says they all work for the common good so that the body might function at, at, at a capacity that, that is efficient but is also honoring and glorifying God. He wants us to have all of those parts. We don't say, ah, yeah, that doesn't matter. To say, hey, you know what? If I, could be the, if I could be the hand, if I could be the pinky finger on that hand to help the church function in a way that glorifies God, that's me. I'm, I'm maybe not going to get the nickname pinky, but I'm, I'm good with that. I'm good with that position because I want God to be glorified in the body of Christ and I can serve in that capacity. And I may get nothing more than the moniker of, I'm Simon Peter's brother. But you know what? That doesn't matter. What matters is when people say, that man, that woman, that child, you know what? They introduce people to Jesus because of the way they live. Not because of what they're waiting for, what they might become when they're old enough. Maybe when they, have, when, they, when they can find a place. Believe me, brothers and sisters, there is a place for you to serve. It just may be in an Andrew capacity and not a Simon Peter capacity. But within the body of Christ, we're known not as Simon Peter's brother, but as those who are connected to Jesus Christ the family of God, meant to bring honor and glory to Him. And that means this matters. We need elders, we need deacons, but we need all the other pieces as well. And as we come into a new season where the societies start up, we need to be learning and growing because we don't naturally do that. We naturally say, well, maybe next year I'll do that. I'm too busy this year. And then next year comes, well, maybe next year I got a couple things I really want to do. We say, no, now. Now. I'm going to learn about Jesus, and I'm going to learn about how to introduce people to Jesus. I want to be an Andrew. I don't need to beat the big drum. I want others to know Jesus. May that be true for your life. To the glory of God. Amen. Your Father in heaven, as we come before you humbly this morning, we must confess that we miss opportunities. We 
we aren't always thinking about how we can serve, how we can be a vital part of the body of Christ, but we know, you say in your word, that we all play a part. We all model a a humble submission to you when when we're engaged. Others may not even notice. They may they may not even talk about us and say, oh, so-and-so does this or does that. But you see, you know. You know the Andrews. You know those who serve. And you also desire for us to be those who bring people to your son that they might know life. Whether they're young, whether they're old, whether they're in our community or in our our neighborhood or in our community. Lord, may we we desire to do that. Here as we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.